he put on my heart to rather talk about what I call Christian conduct. Initially, I thought he said the Christian conduct, but when I was coming, he said, when he said the Christian conduct, you are talking about a specific conduct because the preface they makes it, you know, specific. And of course, there isn't a specific Christian conduct. There are so many conducts, so we leave it open, Christian conduct, meaning that the verses the Lord put on my heart for us to look at, we can look at them and appreciate what the Lord would want you and me to learn as far as Christian conduct is concerned. Why? Because remember on the 14th of February during our first all-in-person service, we spoke about the house of the Lord, right? During our second all-in-person service in March, we also spoke about a prophetic picture. In other words, the house of the Lord has an end. The house of the Lord, according to the word of the Lord, in the end will be exalted above the mountains. He calls it the mountain of the Lord's house. Will be exalted above the mountains and established on top of the mountains and all nations shall flow into the house of the Lord. So we will not wait not knowing what to do and expecting all nations to come to us. There is a conduct. There is a behavior. There is a way to conduct ourselves if we are to be the light of the world, a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden and attract many more souls whether by our word or by our deed. So this was the message the Lord put on my heart. And let's look at First Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. I picked the, the theme from that verse in the phrase that is written in First Timothy 3.15 but we'll be looking at two sets of verses of scripture that actually describe some of the Christian conduct in today's message. First Timothy 3.15 from the New King James Version of the Bible, Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and says but if I am delayed I write so that you may know how to how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Are you seeing something here? He is still buttressing the house of God. The house of God, yes, under the old covenant was a physical house. In Christ, you and I as individuals, we are still the house of God. And then as a people, we are the house of God. Are you there? So he is even still buttressing our message in February that the house of God and his stress on it which is the church of the living God so the house of God is the church of the living God but here he says if I'm delayed my emphasis is on the first line I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself I know a lot of us know how to conduct ourselves in the house of God but my message is not just for our conduct in the house of God but even more importantly when we are outside of the house of God because that is our world. He says go ye into all the world and we've stressed on this message that my world is not your world. You work in the banking sector. I can never have that world because that is your world. When people come and they, you are to attend to them, okay, as a banker, you may not have the opportunity to tell them about the gospel because that is official duty time. But there is a way you will conduct yourself as a banker dealing with a client, a customer that will send a signal that hmm, there is something about this lady, there is something about this brother that would want me to go back again to that same bank. Are you aware that some people have left certain banking you know, you know, institutions, they have actually closed their account just because of the conduct of uh, a staff. Not only bank, I'm just using as an example. Maybe it's even worse in the hospitals. <laughs> and I won't go there. Somebody say, yeah. I won't go there. How about teachers? How about plumbers? How about whatever? So we are in different worlds. The world is one, but there are different worlds in that world. Apostle Peter, I don't know your world. Like, but no, see, I don't know your world. 
Antipat, I don't know your world, but definitely everybody has his or her world. In other words, the people within your sphere of contact, the people that you can reach, that I can never reach. Please, true or not true? Those listening and watching, is it true or not true? It's very true. So, certainly, I don't want to use the word by all means. Certainly, by every proper means, we must know the Christian conduct or how Christians ought to conduct themselves. Here he says in the house of God, but can we extend it? Because the same conduct in the house of God must be practiced outside of the house of God. There are some people, they are very cultured and nice in the house of God. But the same person goes outside of the house of God and you will be like, wow. I don't want to be, give some examples, but wow, is this a believer? All right. So, having looked at First Timothy three fifteen, can we look at some of the sets of scripture the Lord put on my heart? First, let's go to Romans chapter twelve. Romans twelve, from verse ten through twenty one. All right. I read from the New King James Version again. Romans 12, 10. It says, be kindly. We are looking at our Christian conduct. The first thing we are looking at, I said there are many more, but these are the verses the Lord put on my heart. Maybe another time we can look at other verses that still describe the, uh, uh, the Christian conduct as a subject, as a, whole, as a subject in whole, or as a whole subject. But we are looking at an aspect, be given the limited time we have today. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Wow. Somebody say wow. It's a powerful message. Not only in the house of God but even outside of the house of the Lord. If you are dealing with other believers who may not be related to your local assembly or you are dealing with even the unbeliever he says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In other words, not with lust. The affection is with brotherly love. You are committed to the well-being of that individual you are affectionately bonded to. You, you are seeking the person's well-being. Then he said, in honor. In other words, give honor to that brother. There is a tendency for us to look down upon one another. You know, that is the canal self, the unregenerate self. Feeling that I went to a better school, I have a better certificate, I live in a better community, I drive in a better car, I have this experience. Those things can enter your head. And if your mind is not renewed, you are likely until the believer is taught that in honor, prefer a brother to yourself. And we don't do that. But he says in honor, giving preference to one another. Hallelujah. It's a Christian conduct. And we must adopt it. Hallelujah. Verse 11 says, Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Oh, how I wish that when we come to service, we will learn how to serve the Lord. So many people go to the I mean, church service, but they don't know that it is not church service as an end in itself. It is to prepare us so that when we go out there, we will serve the Lord in various capacities in our different worlds not lagging in diligence fervent in spirit you know fervent in spirit now the person is on fire you know I like uh, women's aglow for one thing be aglow for Jesus that's the uh, motto be aglow fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Alright. Then he tells us in the next line, rejoicing in hope. Listen, there are times where you don't feel like, you know, it's not worth it. But in hope of a glorious future, especially if you look at a message like the believer's hope, that will make you rejoice. You will know that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So it doesn't matter what I go through, I rejoice. And we will see in the next set of scripture how we can do that. Hallelujah. 
patient in tribulation. Oh, how we feel agitated and troubled and easily irritated when we are going through trials. Didn't he tell us, account it all joy? James, Apostle James, this is my brethren, count it all joy when you go through various temptations, various trials, various tribulations. Count it, not some joy, all joy. So he says that for you to go through tribulation, one key is what? Patience. Patience in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. I'm glad that our name has prayer in it. International Prayer Resort Ministries. Continually, continuing steadfastly in prayer. It must be a part of our lifestyle. We don't pray because we need things. We pray because that is the way to keep close to the Father. Prayer is primarily for fellowship. You don't go before God before because you need A, B, C. That is why in certain parts of the world, because they seem not to need anything or they, they lack nothing, they, they think that church, therefore, is for those who need A, B, C. But no, church is not for those who need something. Church is for the one who even needs God the most. And when you have everything, that is when you need God most to even keep that thing. So continuing steadfastly in prayer. Don't wait. When your miracle happens, then you abandon God. When your breakthrough happens, that is when you leave the prayer house. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Oh, how we lack in this area. It's a Christian conduct. Are you there? Distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to hospitality. To be hospitable. Some people even go to school to learn the, you know, how to be hospitable in the hospitality industry where people you know take care of uh, hosts you host people in hotels in you know in motels in guest houses and how to dress bed and how to clean the place and how to attend to a client and make sure that you serve the person and entertain the person if the client spills water you know how to you know conduct yourself these things are taught even in school but we have something in our spirit that can teach you that, look, if you prefer somebody above yourself, you will know how to give yourself to hospitality. Bible says, don't be forgetful to entertain strangers, for some have entertained angels unawares. I know the era that we live in is difficult to trust people. It's a difficult world. We will see it in Ephesians 5 very soon. It's an evil world. The days are evil. So, these days, I mean, people, I know a woman, okay, four times, Four, four times consistently. Can you imagine trusting people? She sells in my neighborhood there. And, you know, trusting people. She has even barricaded her shop with, you know, this rope just to keep people social distancing. But for trust's sake, she has decided that, okay, people can trespass and enter, you know, and come and do whatever. And four times, I'm not exaggerating, four times, the last one was just last Monday. I was right by the shop and I didn't see the person. Somebody will just come in the Christian spirit of hospitality. We'll be like, oh, I need this, this, this. And out of hospitality, we'll go and pack the things. By the time she brings it, the person has taken phone and gone. Four times. The fourth one right in my eyes. I'm like, what is this? And we never saw the person, actually. He left with the phone. So if you don't take care, I'm just giving an example, if you don't take care, you will close your bowels of compassion and will never trust anybody again. Praise the Lord. And yet scripture tells you and me that do what? We should give ourselves to hospitality. But some way, somehow, we will still trust, even though you have suffered hurt. It's like accident. There are a lot of accidents on our roads, but we still ply the roads. There are plane crashes here and there, but we still fly. Is that not so? So you don't say that because of one mishap or the other. As for some people go through pain and they say that I will never trust any man again. I will never trust any woman again. Please, if you use the word never, somebody told me never say never. Hallelujah. Can you tell your neighbor, never say never? Because you may not know when God will touch your heart that this thing that you said never, it is now a hindrance. Change your mind. Hallelujah. So, distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to hospitality. Verse 14, we are going deeper. Christian conduct. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Hey, 
Can I ask those of us who are here, those who are watching, those who are listening, do we do that practically? The person is persecuting you, giving you trouble. The person is really a hindrance to the gospel and is making life painful. Do you go to your closet and say, Father, I know that this person is blind. That is why he's doing this. That's why she is doing this. But I pray that, Lord, just as you have opened my eyes of understanding, remove this blindness from his heart, from his mind, that he may see, that she may see the truth of the gospel. Because you know in your heart of hearts that it is because the person doesn't know the Jesus you know. That's why he or she is behaving that way. With that understanding, you will bless and you will not curse. But if you do not take care, if you are a type who say, if you touch me, I'll touch you. Then any least provocation, you'll be using the pulpit. Meanwhile, listen to the name. The name is what? Pulpit. Pull from the pit. But you, you'll be using your pulpit to be pushing people down their pit. <laughs> Apostle Moses says above you. We are talking about Christian conduct because of what God wants to do at the end, our year of glorious emergence. We are not just emerging to show off. No, we are emerging so that through us, somebody else will be saved. So he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. James addressed the same thing. I hope you know that. He says that, my brethren, this ought not to be so, that from the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. It's like a fountain producing sweet water and bitter water. It doesn't work like that. Verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. I'm glad that this weekend, for instance, we are joining the Ziga family to weep and to mourn with them. Yes, we know our brother is in the bosom of the Lord. We know our brother is in Christ. But we cannot be pretentious about some of these things. You know, somebody who is a husband, who is a father, who had children who were dependent on him, who was a colleague at work, who was a staff in a certain organization, who had worked for so many years, who was a member of a church organization, who was a friend to one person or the other, if the person is no more, and you are telling me that, oh, he died in the Lord, so there's no need weeping, I think that you are stretching the gospel too far. If somebody, you lose a relation, a very close relation, and then you admonish the congregation that let's celebrate it because the person is going to be with the Lord, but we should not mourn. I want to question that kind of doctrine. I'm telling you the truth because my scripture tells me that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Secondly, the same scripture also tells us that uh, uh, how do I put it? He says that um, in, in the book of Acts, for instance, when Stephen was stoned to death, he tells us that there was a great lamentation made by the saints for, for Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death and they made great, they cried. The saints made great lamentation. They cried. I remember Apostle Paul also made a similar statement talking about how one of his disciples, you know, was sick, was unto death. Then he said, God spared me because he would have, he would have died through that sickness and then that would have added sorrow upon sorrow but God spared me and God considered me so that I will not sorrow upon sorrow listen to Apostle Paul who wrote all the revelation about the departure of I mean saints and how we should not sorrow as those who have no hope even that take note he says he didn't say we should not sorrow in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll be looking at that this weekend during the funeral of our brother. Okay, He didn't say we should not sorrow. He says we should not sorrow as those who have no hope. In other words, in the midst of our sorrow, we know that there is hope. So we do it with hope and assurance that one day we shall see our brother Ziga again. Praise the Lord. But that is not to say that don't, don't stop it by saying that don't sorrow. That is wrong. Because if you do that, then how about those who were closely dependent on that person? Like a wife, like a son, like a nephew, a niece, 
like close relations. Well, how, how do you quench such a sorrow? You will kill the person. Psychologists will tell you that you will kill such a person. There are some emotions they must be let out. There are some tears they must be shed. Are you there? I said there are some tears they must be, what, be shed. If you bottle it in, you will, you will emotionally kill yourself. So it's okay if we weep with a brother during this weekend. And after we have wept, we will wipe our tears. Because we do so in the hope of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And whose coming will also bring us to the same place of resurrection. Whether dead or alive. Somebody say hallelujah. So rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I'm glad that this church stands in both arena. There are four pillars on which this house, and for that matter, every local assembly is supposed to be, you know, governed within. The foundation is Jesus Christ. I wouldn't say it's founded upon. The foundation, nobody can lay any other foundation apart from that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. But in building, it was only recently I heard somebody use that term, pillaring. Some say pillaring. You know pillaring. When you get a plot of land, you have to do pillaring. I say, oh, what a term, pillaring. So you put the pillars at the four corners of the, of the plot of land or the acres of land. Pillaring. So yes, the foundation is Jesus Christ, but in our pillaring, there are four pillars. Number one is the spiritual, which we have. We have spoken a lot about the Holy Spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit, which is the beginning of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you speak in other tongues, but that's just the beginning. Many people end there. It's supposed to be the beginning. And through that communion, if your heart is sincere with God and you are truly yielded, then he takes over. It is when he takes over, then you say you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the spiritual, we have been teaching and practicing that for the past three, this is our fourth year. The second is the social. So the spiritual, the second pillar is the social, which has to do with rejoicing with those who rejoice. If there is a marriage, if there is the birth of a child, if there is a celebration, if there is you know, uh, ordination, if there is a graduation, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And if there is a departure of a beloved one. We weep with those who weep. That's social. So the social aspect of the church, if that pillar is not there, that church doesn't have boundaries. Are you there? The third pillar is, or the third and the fourth are ordinances. You know, actually ordained by Jesus Christ himself. The first is the Holy Communion. The night, be, the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take it. This is my body which is broken for you. Eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And we have been doing that, am I right? Since the onset of this ministry, the first ordinance, making the third pillar, and the fourth ordinance, or the fourth, uh, second ordinance, making the fourth pillar, is Christian baptism in water. And the message is there. It's in the podcast. Some excellence podcast. Go to the website. It's there. Clearly spelled out and understood that the believer must identify with the death of Jesus, be buried with him in baptism, and when you are raised up out of the water, you are raised with him in newness of life. There are spiritual benefits to that act, and we must fulfill all righteousness. So any church that is sincerely founded upon Christ, but hasn't gone through this pillaring, hasn't put these four pillars as the boundary, I dare say that you can go off course easily. In other words, you will be building something else other than on the foundation because the same foundation, the material that makes the foundation is the material that is used to build. And upon these four pillars, you will be amazed when we structure our, our church, whether IP or any other church for that matter, you'll be amazed how the church will grow and make its great impact. So those who want to go into church planting, there are how many pillars? Four pillars. If you are learning pillaring in, in the building industry, know that spiritually there's also pillaring. And let the spiritual take the first and foremost don't neglect the social. There are so many people who are so spiritual that they become super spiritual. 
They declare the social. Oh no, celebration. No, no, no. What are you talking about? Oh no, don't, don't, don't cry. Come and let's funeral. And he said that, okay, I know some cultures, funeral, they wear white. I don't dispute that fact. But if the culture says that this one, this is the attire. We are we are mourning, so we are in black. Follow protocol. Hallelujah. All right. So that is just verse 15 of Romans 12. And then the 16 says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Another one. Be of what? Of the same mind. Oh, how God would want us to begin to think the same way. And you can't do that if your mind is not renewed. Other than that, I'll be talking A and you'll be talking Z. Because we are looking at the same thing from different perspectives. He said, be of the same mind. This is Christian conduct. In other words, we must study the Bible together. For instance, on Sunday, can I say this on record? Many of the things I started talking about, I did not meditate on them. It was not even in my thinking to talk about all the things. All I knew was Romans 5, 8. That was the message God gave me. I don't know where I started from. I started talking about so many things and forgot that there were even children, because we don't have children's service, that there were even children who are amongst us who probably might not have been taught in these things and who from Sunday school know the basics. So I was getting conscious of the fact that "Mm, I will be hurting some people. And the Holy Spirit was prompting me in that direction. You are hurting some people. Yes, it was the truth, but this is bones. It's not milk. The unschooled and the one who has not been properly taught or studied the word of God can be confused. And so, that was why God gave me the message, preach the word. I was going to have a congregation one day that will preach that message and I will expound on but thank God, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, during the drum broadcast, you can go back. I started teaching on the things that I preached about on, on Sunday. Why? Because I was mindful of the fact that some people could be confused. But see, they are all truth in the scripture. That's what Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you put the scriptures in their right perspective, you will discover that this God is too much. And number two, he's so good. He is too good. He loves us. Hallelujah. So we will get there. But suffice it to say that it takes study together. This is we don't do it. Can we use the same virtual platforms to start something like Bible study? Like on Zoom or on if it's audio platform. I told you the other time there is a discovery on Telegram that takes more than 30 million people at a go and there's no time limit and the, the audio is also very clear we can use that if there is a need for scripture we can use zoom or any other application for that matter and then study rightly defi- you ask questions questions are answered we can do that if we're not able to meet all the time we can meet online like we did during the easter friday service and do a study it's important some of us the many things that we teach were things that when we were in the Christian foundation, we were taught at, you know, Bible study. Thursday, Saturday, you sit down and you have a leader who will teach you these things and they became part of us. But we take it for granted. But we are not, you know, all brought up the same way. So we must design a way where we can all come to the same mind, be of the same mind toward one another. Hallelujah. I pray we will get there soon. Do not set your mind on high things, hmm. but associate with the humble. The King James says, condescend to men of low estate. Associate with the humble. What does it mean to set your mind on high, high things? It is like scripture saying that uh, do not think highly of your own opinion. Do not think too highly of your own opinion. That is what in our local palace we say, too known. And somebody is too known, it means the person is thinking too highly of his own opinion. Please, he didn't say don't think highly of your own opinion, but he said don't think too highly. Where you presume that you are the only person who knows it all and nobody knows it. Because what I know, you may not know. And what you know, I may never know. So it is iron, sharpening iron. We come together so that we bring knowledge together until we are brought to the same mind. How can we think and become of the same mind if we don't 
if we don't dialogue together, if we don't discuss together, if we don't study together, if we don't, there's a difference between preaching and teaching. What I did on Sunday, most part of the time was preaching. Preaching, you take, you know, the seeds and you broadcast it. So what I was doing was just broadcasting. I haven't forgotten that some people might not have been taught in that area. And I was just broadcasting it. But teaching, you do it line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. You put the pieces together and then you can give opportunity for questions to be asked and answers to be given. That's teaching. Hallelujah. But I pray that we'll combine both preaching and teaching and then come to the same mind. He says, be not of this, be of the same mind, rather, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Did you hear that? Do not what? Be wise in your own opinion. Rejoice. No, verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. This is another place. Hey, Christian conduct. He said what? Repay. He didn't say repay some of the people. I know some people who say that, Kai, this one, I will never forgive her. I'll never forget it. I will make sure that I do her some. Then they will even quote something. I don't know which scripture is that. I will use my mouth to say it. Please, who can show me that verse of scripture? Where is it found? No, I'll be grateful if you can show me because we are learning together. We want to come to the same mind. But when you say, then you now begin to call some fire somewhere and pour, especially on a Christian brother. And you're forgetting that we are the same body. So when one member suffers, the whole body suffers. So what you are pouring on that brother, actually, you will suffer it too because you are part of that body. It's a mystery. If you don't discern the Lord's body and recognize that, see, this brother, I can't hurt him. I can only love him. Even if you cannot be friends with the person, love the person by at least praying for the person. Pray that God, oh, let him see what I'm seeing. Because we are all not seeing the same thing. Though we are all looking at the same thing. Hallelujah. Repay no one evil for evil. Repay. I wish I could dwell here and stop here. Repay no one evil for evil. I have seen in the body of Christ with my little number of years in Christendom, I have seen that those, I've said it before, you've heard me say that, those who pray the so-called dangerous prayers, please watch the history. They also don't live for long. And we may go to a funeral and say that, oh, this brother said the Lord, he was on fire, he did this, and so he's going to be with the Lord. And so it's okay. Meanwhile, it may be. When God opens the judgment books, we will discover that probably it was the seeds of always repaying evil with evil that ended up becoming fruits. And at the fruit stage, you will do what? Eat the fruit thereof. When your cup is full, there is nothing that nobody can do. Not even Jesus. He can't do anything about it. When you get to the fruit state, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And, that, and they that love it. The Bible says, shall eat the fruit thereof. So if you are doing something and you are cautioned and you keep doing it, doing it. The first time a word is spoken, I like it. Today I even heard somebody say that, um, you know, scripture says that um, your, your, you know, those who sow precious seed. And he was talking about offering. And I've said before that why do we, yes, there's a place for offering. Those who sow bountifully shall reap bountifully. But in that scripture, in Psalm 126, it says that those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And, and he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed in contest. He was talking about the word of God. The word of God is the precious seed. So let's not make everything money. We need money, but when we are studying scripture, we go according to scripture. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again, rejoice in bringing his sheaves with him. He was talking about the word. Weeping in prayer and speaking precious words. Because anytime a word is spoken for the first time, in the realm of a spirit, a seed is sown. Have you forgotten the, the parable of the sower? He said, and the seed is what? The word of God. It's a precious seed, the most precious seed. So manna is a seed, but the word of God is a precious seed. And anytime you say the same thing, 
you are watering that seed. And we take it for granted. There are people who have, Bible says, thou art snared with the words of your mouth. Please, Christian conduct, be mindful of what you think on because what you think on, you eventually speak it out. If you are the type who is always cursing, repaying evil with evil, maybe you may not tell the person, but you say it in your closet, but God knows that you are sowing a seed and you are watering that seed and it will germinate, become a seedling, become a tree with branches and leaves and flowers. At that stage, there's still hope you can uproot that tree. But the day that tree bears fruit, lo and behold, you will eat the fruit thereof. So, my little observation in the body of Christ, I have watched, I will not mention names, but I have, I have observed that those who sow evil with evil and repay, they may be powerful, in quotes, sounding spiritual, but you will discover from scripture that scripture cannot be broken. As they repaid evil with evil, so at the fruit stage, because the word that says thou shalt not commit adultery is the same word that says thou shalt not steal. So, then you can stand and begin to repay evil with evil. But mind you, the word of God is a double-edged sword. It cuts here and it cuts there. So as you are cutting there, if it comes here and there is a door of disobedience, a door of sin, any door, it may not be the same door for which cause you are praying the dangerous prayer. It may be another one, but the same law. Satan has made himself a law enforcement agent. So you will go before God and say, God, yes, it is true that this one is not, he didn't do what the other brother did, but he's also doing this. So let the same fruit, let the same seed he has sown be reaped as fruit. That is why we should show mercy because he has been so merciful. Hallelujah. Learn to be merciful, child of God. Learn to be compassionate. Other than that, you will never intercede for anybody. If you are not merciful, if you are not compassionate, you will never intercede for anybody. But there are some people who must pray for them because they should not perish. Is that okay? Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. I like that. And 18 says, if it is possible, I think I will leave the Ephesians 5 for maybe another time because time is already gone. But let me end with 2021. 20, 18, 19, 20, and 21. It says, if it is possible. Please, is it possible? If it was not possible, God wouldn't have put it there. I know there are sometimes it is practically not possible. But even that, you should endeavor to look inward and find out that can I still contain and accommodate this behavior? Have I told you this story before that in the university in my first year, you know, in the, in the same hall, I had two, three roommates who were four in the room. And one of them was also a pastor. He's different. But the other two, one was a Christian who was a chorister in a very good church on campus at the time. And then the other one was a Muslim. Can I say that the Muslim never gave me trouble once. But this Christian brother who was a chorister, I will cook beans and then this man will come and he will just provoke you. Just come and hmm, this man is, he will just provoke you with words. He will even be spitting us with words in the beans. I'm like, what is this brother doing? Provoking. But a Muslim brother never, and I mean never, gave trouble once. He had a certain reverence. A certain, you know, it's like, oh, these are the holy ones. He will not. But the Christian, I can't even say some of the things that he was even doing afterwards. So they said that now I couldn't even stay in that room. And when I come and the things I will see going on, on one of the beds, I said, come on, I can't stay here. So my time, I'll go and spend on, on Sabbath field and be praying. But it was done by the Christian, not the Muslim. We are talking about a Christian conduct. That's a, a bad example. So the Muslim can never be witnessed to by such a person. Is that not so? He says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, the King James says, lies in you, live peaceably with all men. I really tried to live peaceably with that brother. I'm telling you, it wasn't easy. Because every day was a day of provocation. Every day, he would do something. I mean, you, your own best shit that you have cleaned and you will come and lie down on it with somebody that will, he will mess you up. Are you there? 
And it was a mess. But if it is possible, there are some things it's not possible. Some of the things, I just didn't want to sound like I'm fighting because I could have fought. I could have fought because this was my bed and this is what you're doing on it. It's not fair. But if it is possible, live peaceably with all men. So look inward and find out, is it possible for me to accommodate this brother, this sister? There are some people, Bible says, we should turn away from. Those people, it's not possible. I think I've looked at those scriptures before. One of the dumb brokers. If it, there are some people, Bible says, from set, turn away. Maybe one day we can look at it in church as well. It's not possible. But if it is possible, the condition is if it is possible, as much as depends on you. It doesn't depend on the other person. It depends on you. Because you want to win that brother. You want to win that sister. So live peaceably with all men. Verse 19 says, Beloved, oh, let's end with the last three verses. <clears throat> and it's powerful here also. Christian conduct, part one. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. In other words, don't take revenge into your own hands. But rather give place to wrath. In other words, God, if God wants to recompense, child of God, you, your own, when God says, how do we say it? Is that how you say it? The, the, the wrath of God, when he wants to pour it, you yourself, you can't even stand it. That was the time he told Moses, step aside so that I will consume all these people at once and raise a people out of you, Moses. Moses said, God, so that the Egyptians will say that it was because you could not contain and take care of your people. So you brought them to the wilderness to kill them and even told God, repent of this wickedness. And God did repent. The King James is a powerful language, eh? Repent. So he tells us, God says that, look, he, he judges righteously. Sometimes our judgment is lopsided. Our judgment is based on the information, the way you perceive things. You are perceiving that this person is wrong. For all you know, for all you know, he may not be a wrong person. I met with somebody last week, Monday, somebody who taught me, okay? And little did I know that from the day he started a certain odd behavior, it was because of a certain relationship he entered into under pressure. Where are the grandchildren? Where are the grandchildren? Where are the grandchildren? And so that compelled him to enter into a certain relationship. And see, that relationship started eating him up. And then he started drinking right from 1998 till I met him last Monday. And it has become so bad that we have done everything and it's not working. So it's like we need to save this man because now the disgrace is overboard. Everybody knows him. And he has taught people who are now gratis. Some are heads of department in the same university. But this person comes and falls down in gutter, breaks his leg, breaks his head. So I met him for hours. And when he narrated the story for about three hours, then I said, wow, you would judge this man wrongly if you don't know the beginning of the story for which cause he started drinking right from 1998. You would judge him wrongly. I had a certain compassion. I had a certain empathy. And I decided that we must win this man at all costs. We must save his soul. Because you can see that the next thing Satan will do will be to push him into death. And that will be it. And that will be very painful. Somebody who taught you, maybe you don't appreciate that. Somebody who taught you and you, he will teach you and you will get A, whether you like it or not. Because he had the knowledge. But here is a scripture. He says that, beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. You can take revenge on people easily if you don't know their story. Are you there? You can take revenge easily if you don't know their story. So oftentimes, we ought to hear the other side so we can judge accurately. And since judgment doesn't even belong to us, some of the things, just ignore it and at best pray for the individual. Because if you take judgment upon yourself, you will judge wrongly and kill somebody innocently. And mind you, his blood will be required of your hands. Hallelujah. So, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is yours and mine. Is that what he said? It's mine. You see, what is not yours and you go and take it, 
Have you worn a suit that looks so big on you before? I'm asking a question. A suit is not yours. This one, it belongs to the big man. There are some shirts that when I put on, I say that this one, they're in or we will give it out. Because it doesn't, it doesn't fit you. Vengeance doesn't fit any child of God. To take vengeance upon your own hands, you look like a caricature. You begin to misbehave. You will conduct yourself, you know, on, in an unchristian way. And that is where Apostle Paul addressed the Corinthian church and said that, how? So was there no wise man among you that a brother would take another brother to court? Then he asked, don't you know that you even judge angels? How much more small matters among you? Someone say Christian conduct. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And he will. So how he will do it, that is not your business. Yours is to leave it for God. Are you there? How God will do it? Because, you see, the good thing about God is that because he does not wish that anybody should perish, whereas you think that God is going to God too, he wants a soul. Because he died for that soul. He shed his blood for that soul. So when you are expecting that this person is going to fall down dead, you will say that the person is flourishing. So, oh God. You are disappointing me. That is why some people are tempted and then they now go and consult something else. Because so I'm going the one that will do it fast. Having forgotten that the one that will do it fast, he will not tell you the whole story. The whole story is that what you sow, you will reap. So he will give it to you and that thing now becomes a thorn in your flesh. Say so go and use it. But after you have used it, the thing is now haunting you. Some of them even come with conditions. After you have used it, you are not going to live beyond this age. Then you realize that, oh, what have I put myself into? It is because of Ebufus. The, the anger, the wrath, the wanting to revenge at all costs. There are some things, leave it. The man abandoned you with only one child and you don't have anything to eat. Just leave it for God. I don't know who I'm talking to. The woman didn't treat you well. There was a video surprisingly just chance upon my, my phone during the week. I was like, wow, what's going on? This was just last Sunday. I don't want to give the whole story, but it's actually in the public media. Very sad. I mean, this is somebody who was badly treated by a husband who is a pastor. Okay? Because they've been married for this number of years and there was no child after 13 years. And then the man now goes for I'm not bringing judgment here. I'm just telling you Christian conduct, whether we conduct ourselves right or not, because I'm not a judge. Whether she was right or wrong, but repay no evil for evil. So, after 13 years, the man goes for another woman, impregnates her, and even wants to marry that person. That's wrong, is that not so? Being a pastor, that's wrong, as far as our scripture is concerned. But to make matters worse, on Resurrection Sunday, when everybody has dressed up and coming to church, the woman said, eh? after I've fed you, after I've given you land for you to build church on, after I've clothed you, you do this. Come on. Whilst people were in church, she started taking things. Take, we didn't bring the flowers today. It's in the car. You left it in the car. Take flowers. Throw it outside first. Take this. Throw it out first. Take it. And videoing. That's why I can say it because it's in the public domain. And even put it on a big screen where everybody was now commenting. Some were judging wrongly. I was watching. I was like, what's going on here? Close two padlocks. Close some of the doors. Nobody is having church here today. Eh? So church didn't go on. Resurrection Sunday. Am I here to judge? No. I'm talking about Christian conduct. There are some things you don't take into your own hands. The person did the wrong thing. But remember... The souls that are looking up to him. You see, some people look up to pastors. If you don't take care because of a misconduct of a pastor, if you don't take care, you yourself can even end up in hell and the person will go to heaven. Why? Because the pastor may still be a signboard. He is not doing the right thing, but he's a signboard. And signboards, though they don't get to the destination, they are pointing people to the destination. So why don't you leave the signboard where it is and let him keep on. Maybe one day he will follow the, the people he has directed. But you, because of limited knowledge of what God can do with a soul who should not perish, you not take it upon yourself. 
Whether the church was founded upon Christ or not, I don't know. But scattered everything and closed the church. He said, Yo, Bema, go and bring a lawyer. You see what I'll do here. All right. Christian conduct. Hallelujah. I could say it because I know it's in the public domain. And so, um, hmm, it is well. But he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Let me end with 20 and 21. Therefore, someone say, therefore, if your enemy, this one is the biggest one, is hungry, feed him. Hey, Christian conduct. If he is thirsty, do you know that scripture didn't say give him water? It says give him a drink. Chilled one. Seriously. Oh, my, 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 my. Give him what? A drink. Practically. Let's come practically home. Do we do that? Next week, by the grace of God, when we look at Ephesians chapter 5, you can look at it from verse, verse I wrote it down here, verse 15 into 21. You will appreciate the other aspect of the Christian conduct. What will make this, all these things a reality is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we will end with that and then allow the Holy Ghost to fill us up so we can float above the storms. There are some storms that hit us and we start misbehaving. All of us, if you don't get cognizant, you don't become conscious of the person of the Holy Spirit. There are some behaviors we, we put on and the Holy Spirit will be like, where are you taking me? I mean, he's inside, where, where are you taking me? Because you are my vessel. I operate through you, but where are you taking me? Why are you doing this? Are you there? Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. I, I have heard somebody interpreting the scripture differently. And I was shocked. From the pulpit, I was shocked. But one of the ways to interpret scripture is to take it uh, literal, unless it is not possible. For instance, where Jesus said that uh, if your right hand is offense, you cut it off. You take it literal, but you know that it also contradicts a certain scripture where you are maiming the body of, I mean, the, the house of the Lord. So therefore, he meant to say that, you know, you cut that situation or that circumstance so off as if to say you have cut, you've cut your right hand off. Are you there? So unless it is not possible, take every scripture literally. So no matter how you, you interpret this verse of scripture. The person was saying something like, uh, scripture says that uh, if, you know, somebody slaps you on the right cheek, you know, give him the other side. And so he said, the other side actually means that, uh, show him your other side. I said, hey, come on. And it's from a big pulpit. I'm telling you, very big. I said, no, 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 this one, I don't agree. If somebody slaps you on this side, give him the other side. So he said, sister didn't say that you know, give him the other side. In other words, show him your other side. I said, hey, you can mislead God's people. Oh, be careful. That's why James says not all of us should become teachers because we will receive greater condemnation. So if it is not possible to take it literally, then you can spiritualize it. But almost every scripture can be taken literally. Here he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Feed him doesn't mean that you are come to feed him spiritually. Feed him what? Physically. These days, the way people go into things and they call it spiritual, spirituality, it's not spirituality, it's spiritism. So, somebody can take this feeding and do something else. I'm telling you, I won't mention it because some people may copy, but they do something else. They have wild imaginations. So, feed him, then they will take something else and do something spiritual and call the person's name and put the person's name on paper and say, I'm going to feed the person. I mean, what are you talking about? You are going to spiritism. You are opening door for demon. And that demon will contain you and disturb you. If you want peace of mind, okay, and rest in your soul, take God's word as it is. If your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. It's practically difficult. I know. I'm telling you, it's practically difficult. But that is why he said, if it is possible, as much as lies in you, he knows it is in you to do it. Because we have something on the inside of us that the other person doesn't have. So, and here he's not talking about a spiritual enemy. Our enemy is spiritual, but a human being who has made himself an enemy is what he's referring to. We are not an enemy to that person, but the person has made himself or herself an enemy. If the person needs food and has come to you, 
and you have the opportunity, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. I don't know which drink you will give. You can start with water. In Ivory Coast, they do with coffee. Elsewhere, Asana. You don't know how Asana is nice. You don't know. Hmm. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. I hope you remember I told you a story of how I used to go and pray on the field. And I've heard people, based on this scripture, praying fire upon people's head. Already, I'm so glad it is so. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And the person is going up and down. I'm like, what's going on here? Hey! He has taken scripture literally. He said, pour fire on his head. He didn't say, go to the field and pour fire, please. He says, let him be so ashamed that, oh, on one again, so you're born, you know. So, so here, Papa. Oh. The Christian conduct is a sweet one. Don't you see him? May your life be so sweet that people cannot avoid you. They will still come to you. Even if they think they can avoid you, they will still come and realize that there's something in you that they can't resist. Hallelujah. Then the last one. The last one. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. Kindly conclude for me. Overcome evil. Overcome evil. Overcome evil. Doesn't it say it all? So somebody does you evil. Are you thinking evil? Are you thinking of repaying evil for evil? Because we saw that in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. So he ended by saying that, in case you didn't understand it, he said, do not be overcome by evil. In other words, somebody did you evil, but don't be overcome by it. Don't be so consumed by it that that's what you're meditating on. Hmm. Hmm. And that thing that you're doing, hmm, hmm, hmm. do you know what is happening? It is like sugar that is attracting ants. Anytime there is bitterness, Bible says, lest any root of bitterness springing up among you and thereby many be defiled. That bitterness will end up affecting everybody around you. And, and apart from that, that bitterness will now open the door for demons. Some people, when you see them, you can see that literally they are, they are occupied by spirit of depression. Do you know where that depression came from? It started with that bitterness. It opened the door for depression to come in. Depression said, oh, there's room. Then you go and bring another demon, hypertension. You know hypertension? Increase your blood pressure. Then hypertension says that, oh, uh, there's more room. Let me go and bring another demon. Let him bring diabetes. Then diabetes said that, okay, there's more room. Let's go and bring another one. Let's press his kidney. Kidney failure. Kidney failure says, okay, there's more room. Let's go and bring heart failure. Before I realize, you, because of bitterness, have killed yourself. And the other person may not even know that you are even thinking about him or her. Say, I repent. Can we stand to our feet? I've spent a time beyond 12. Hmm. May God have mercy on me. Say, God, have mercy on me. And help me to conduct myself the Christian way. Lift your voice and pray. Those who listen, those watching, can we pray the same prayer? Have mercy on me. I need to conduct myself. If you want to live long, I like Apostle Peter's admonition. He took it from the Old Testament anyway. He says anybody who will live long and will see long, long days and long life. So refrain his tongue from evil that his lips, that they speak no guile. In other words, don't let evil come out of your lips. If somebody curses you, bless it's a blessing. Hallelujah. Amen. It tells your superiority that you are the light of the world. Amen. You are the salt of the earth. Can you lift your voice? Let's pray. Father, have mercy on me and give me the grace to conduct myself the Christian way. Let me live the Christian life because you would want to protect the church above the other nations of the world so that all nations will flow into us. But they cannot flow into us if we are conducting ourselves wrongly. Therefore, we are calling on you this afternoon. We are calling on you, whatever the time zone is, for those who are connected online. Father, we are calling on you that we will conduct ourselves the Christian way as you teach us part two in Ephesians 5 next week. 
Holy Father, give us the wisdom, the grace to relate with your spirit in a way that will get us full of the spirit that will be filled with nothing else but your spirit alone. That bitterness will not have room in our heart to stay. That wrong acts, wrong acts that have been done against us will not will not fill us up and fill our thoughts to, to, to now bring forth revenge. We are praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us, O God. We are calling on you for mercy. That whereas you have shown us mercy, we will learn to show mercy. Whereas you have shown us kindness, we will be kindly affectionate towards one another. That in honor we will prefer one another as you have instructed us in Romans chapter 12 verse 10. Oh, we are calling on you this afternoon. Lord, lead, lead us by your spirit and guide us by your spirit into all truth that will conduct ourselves righteously as a light of the world and as a salt of the earth and as people that are mission-minded with our conduct, using our conduct as evangelistic tools to win others for Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.